Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. And what a privilege and honor it is for myself to be here tonight. And uh, our lesson title is in conjunction with our week, our actually month series of healthy relationships. And so tonight I'd like to deal with this topic, uh, understanding a healthy and godly relationship. Now this isn't IBC people, this is not a dating relationship. And so I already had two uh, gentlemen asked to give shout outs to help them with their dating relationships. I don't know why I keep doing this when I say dating relationships, but we're talking about healthy relationships in general. Somebody say amen. And uh, we've had some incredible lessons already this week, or this month, I keep saying this week. And so we pray that God would be with us and speak to us. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Colossians, the third chapter. I want to begin reading in verse 12, and we're going to read down to verse 13. And I, I want us to kind of frame this in our mind, what the Word of God is stating here. It makes this very powerful, maybe even complex statement. It says, forbearing one another, mm. forgiving one another. Wow. But let's begin at the top. Put therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave, so also do ye. So tonight I'd like to talk about those principles that God has given us to establish healthy, godly relationships. You can be seated. When we open up the word of God, there's so many places that we could turn to and, and that discuss relationships in general, healthy relationships and godly relationships. I just had the privilege this semester of working my way through uh, the Apostle Paul's prison epistles. And in those simple epistles that he wrote to the church while he was incarcerated for crimes that really he didn't commit, but yet he did because he was a heretic. And I said it, the Apostle Paul was considered a heretic by the religious community. You see, he was preaching a gospel that was establishing what healthy and godly relationships should be. Not, not the pomp and circumstances of a relationship with God that is distant and far off and one that has a mediator in the form of a man. But what he was preaching and the reason he was incarcerated was he was preaching a relationship that you and I can have with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so here's this man that established what, first of all, a relationship should look like, and that should be a relationship with God is our heavenly father. And so I think even before we begin any further, we have to embrace this concept, this idea. For you and I to have healthy relationships in the church, we must have a healthy relationship with God first. Now, Paul goes on. He talks about a lot of other things in his prison epistles and even in Ephesians, which some of my students that are here tonight were dealing with that. Paul talks about those that are not doing correct when it comes to preaching and discussing the doctrine. And we're supposed to mark them that labor among us and, and uh, push them out if they don't handle the things of God uh, correctly. And, 
and with the right spirit and the right attitude. And so Paul says a lot, but I want to focus on not what we should do if someone doesn't have a good relationship, but how we should have a correct relationship with people around us and, of course, God. The Bible ranks healthy relationships as probably the most important thing in life. If you were to turn to Matthew 22 and verse 36, 37, and then through 40, you would see that there's this phenomenal scripture that begins to unfold. There was a Jewish educator, a teacher that came, a scholar of the word, and said to Jesus, the master, what's the most important commandment? And what does he say? He responds. He says, um, well, the most important is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is, is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> These two commandments depend upon the whole law and the prophets. Now, the first one is probably the most critical one. And really, the first one, when it comes to a believer, is probably the easiest one to initially start, but possibly the most difficult one to sustain. Because our correct relationship with God has to do with correct understanding of the doctrine of the Bible. Our relationship with God has very fundamental principles that are at play here. And the first one is we have to become a spiritual individual to have a correct relationship with God. Secondly, to become a spiritual individual, we must understand what truth is and how does truth apply to my life. Now, I'm thankful for Calvary Tabernacle because this church has stood for truth year after year after year. And as a matter of fact, we could say this is even a legacy church that the pastors of Calvary Tabernacle have preached unadulterated the word of God without shame or fear of ridicule. And they stood on these fundamental principles of what God is and how God interacts with his people. And so we have grown up in an environment, a lot of uh, students that have just walked in the past couple of years, you may not even understand what Calvary Tabernacle represents, but Calvary is a pinnacle in our movement. There have been men that have helped shape and mold our movement that stood behind this pulpit right here and preached the word of God. Now, we do know this, that part of truth is this beautiful understanding of who God is. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so that's the process in which we navigate with this understanding of, first of all, who God is and our relationship with God. The beautiful thing is our relationship with God is really not dependent on our pedigree, our background, or who we are of what we've accomplished in life. And somebody say, thank God for that. But our understanding of God and our relationship of God is based upon this incredible idea called the love of God and his grace and mercy that's been extended to us. As a matter of fact, any person, regardless of who you are and what you've done, can have a relationship with God. All that you have to do is step into covenant. Now, covenant is a very interesting word, and we talk about covenant, especially in an apostolic church, very passionately, because covenant frames the idea of how God has a relationship and a connection with you and I, and we have a relationship and a connection with him. Now, if you, you look at the Bible, you're not going to find the word relationship, not in the King James Version, you're not. As a matter of fact, that word does not exist in the Bible. So when people talk about a relationship with God, it has to be framed within a biblical context. And so we have to look at relationship based upon our understanding of what the word of God states about our connection 
with God, and that is covenant or the idea of covenant. Now, how many could raise your hand and say, I think I've got a good grasp on covenant? Excellent. So explain that to us real quick. Come on up. No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, <laughs> thought I had him there. He's, he's sweating bullets already. And uh, never sit on the front row and never raise your hand if somebody asks a question. You should have learned that in elementary school. My goodness. We're doing our best with these IBC students. God help us. And uh, so, so context of covenant is this. Um, covenant was given to Abraham. How many remember the covenant that God spoke to Abraham? He told Abraham that if you follow these guidelines and you do specific things, that I will give you a sevenfold promise in return, right? Sevenfold promise, kind of cool. Now, it was very simple. Uh, Abraham had to just take some steps. He had, to, he had to obey God, follow God, trust in God. He had to submit himself to the will of God. And so covenant was a really interesting concept that developed all the way back in the Old Testament. And covenant has extended all the way until the New Testament. So what does covenant look like in the New Testament? Well, covenant in the New Testament looks like the new birth. And so for you and I to fall in covenant or relationship, we have to fulfill the new birth experience. What is the new birth experience? Well, the book of Acts describes the new birth experience for all of us as believers. As a matter of fact, every person that was saved in the New Testament did three significant things. Number one, they repented of their sins. Number two, they were baptized in the name of Jesus by complete immersion. And then number three, they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. That established covenant, that's the new covenant that God has performed and initiated in the New Testament. So you and I, to have a relationship with God and to fall under covenant, we have to abide by the guidelines or the rules of covenant. I know this is kind of weird talking about relationships, and here I am throwing out this word covenant and rules and obeying. That's not really cool today. I don't know that we could... We, we could just talk about that openly because, you know, those are like restrictive. That's, that's kind of tough. Obey. Submit. You see, you know what God is asking? He's asking this. Covenant is established by him. The guidelines are set by him. And the course of action has been established in the word of God, which his word is forever settled in heaven. So this is where relationship and covenant are different. Relationship, especially in today's terms, is something that is not serious and sometimes taken for granted. Because relationships can be established and broken, reestablished, discarded, at any will, whim, or emotion. And so we, as a human being, we have the ability to establish the rules of relationship, do we not? I know some of you old timers, and um, that's anybody that's over 40, we're old timers, and uh, we, we don't, I mean, it's been a long time since we've talked about relationships, right? And, uh, and, and I don't know, I, I, I love hanging out with these IBC students because it, it makes me so thankful that 25 years ago, I married the love of my life, and I didn't have to worry about any of that stress from that moment on, Hallelujah. And uh, that was my wife clapping, by the way. And uh, she's very thankful. And I'm too. I love you, babe. And, uh, and, um, but if you just by chance could be in my shoes and, and you sit in my office 
and someone like, you know, Blaze and Will come in to talk to you about past relationships, failed relationships, hopeful relationships. Don't worry, I called them out because they specifically asked. I called them out in the hallway. They said, please give us a shout out. There's your shout out. May not be what you wanted. But um, it's amazing how the heart is so deceitful. Not these guys, but some very like them. Wear sweaters over dress shirts and tan jackets. Guys like that, you know who I'm talking about. Not them, but someone like that. We'll walk in one day and say, I've met her. Who? The love of my life. And, uh, and I'm like, well, congratulations. This is exciting. This is a whole new chapter. And, uh, and so they're starting this budding relationship. It's, it's communication. And communication now takes form in the way of texting. And um, students don't even know how to talk to each other nowadays. And I mean, you and I, us old timers, you know, we, we, we actually had face-to-face conversations. Isn't that right? But now they just sit next to each other and text one another. And it's, it's easier, I guess. And, and, um, and they slide into DMs. Is that still cool? I don't even know what that means, actually. But um, they got lingo that I still try to figure out. Like, you have to have a dictionary. You're like, what? I don't even know what this means. And someone said they're going to riz. I thought, I don't even, like, I hope that's not a curse word. And, uh, and I just repeated it behind the pulpit. So... I, hope it, I really hope it's not a curse word. And, and uh, they just got all these words that I can't figure it out. And, uh, and so they're in love one moment, and, and that's the love of their life. And we have a great future together. And we're going to go off in ministry to Africa and, and start churches and pray people through the Holy Ghost. And it's going to be amazing. And then two days later, uh, they walk back in, and the love of their life has now shattered and broken their heart in a million pieces. And, and, uh, but have no fear because the future's future's bright because now they're looking to another potential love of their life. And uh, they just move on. It's just one relationship and the other relationship. And this is why the Bible does not have relationship in it because you and I dictate the terms of relationship. If someone doesn't like the way this relationship is going, we terminate it, we end it, and we walk away. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you this with covenant. God does not walk away. When you have a relationship with God, you don't have to worry about him getting fickled. You don't have to worry about him not liking you anymore. You don't have to worry about him not holding good on his promises or his commitments. When God says, I'm going to answer and this is my covenant I give to you, you can hold on to that because whatever the word of God states, that's your promise. That is God's covenant. And so we cannot dictate the terms of covenant. We can't say, God, I want a little grace, but I don't want commitment. God, I I want a little mercy, but, but I don't want to be faithful. No, that's not the way it works. God says this. If you want to abide under covenant, these are the rules. <laughs> yeah, that's why relationship isn't there, but covenant is. And so the first way to have a healthy, godly relationship is to have a healthy, godly relationship. And so before you can expect to have good relationships that are horizontal, you have to have a good relationship that's vertical. As apostolics, if we're expecting God to be in our marriage, to be in our friendships, to be with us, to represent us, you know what we must do? We must learn how to connect with God. 
Connecting with God is just like connecting with a friend. You have to communicate. You have to have good conversations. You have to have commitments. You have to show up when you say you're going to show up. You have to, be, you have to make good on the promises that you've made. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for you tomorrow. Guess what? He's expecting you to live for him tomorrow. That's what relationship with God. You have to be faithful to church. You have to be faithful in spiritual things. To have a good relationship on this earth, you must have a good godly relationship with him. And how can you have a relationship with him if you don't know him? So you have to have an experience with him. And that's where this altar comes into play. Because the greatest initiation of a relationship with God begins at the beginning. And repentance is that moment where you begin to repair that relationship with God. As a matter of fact, I, I, I never forget my first, no, my second born, Winston was in the hospital. He was hours old. Our doctor couldn't be there because he had already scheduled a trip and a new doctor that we didn't know walked in and he walks into that room and he's, he's looking at my wife. He looks at me. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's spiritual. Possibly. I, maybe not. I don't know. But he looks at us and he's holding this baby and he said, it's ridiculous to even consider that people would call this child evil. Man, something just, I, I said, excuse me. He said, well, there's people that would consider this child evil. I'm like, let me tell you something, buddy. That's, that's my baby. <laughs> that's, that lady just gave birth to that baby. I don't know who you are. I'm like, who, who would say that? Well, I knew immediately what he was saying. He, he, was, he was trying to, you know, it's like you poke the bear. What happens? It gets angry. You poke dad, he gets a little angry. My blood was starting to boil. I'm like, who would, who would say something like that? He said, well, Christians. I said, what kind of Christians have you met? I said, there's nothing evil about that child. Yes, the Bible says that we were born in iniquity and shaping in. The Bible says it in the sin of this world. But that doesn't mean that that child is evil. No, no, that means that child has to reach an age of accountability before they know right and wrong. That's why as parents, we must be very careful on how we raise our children, how we speak to our children, what we prioritize to our children, because they have to make decisions on whether or not they're going to enter into covenant with God or walk away from covenant with God. So there's nothing evil about that child. No, no, you see, it's when we get older that we begin to process right and wrong. We make the conscious decision that I no longer want to do what's right. I no longer want to fit in with what society's rules dictate. And therefore, I'm going to willingly cross those guidelines and those rules and inflict my anger and, and participate in things that I know should not be participated in because every society is established upon guidelines and rules that go all the way back to the Ten Commandments. And so we've got to get to this place where we understand who we are. And you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to repair the relationship that he intended to have with every living human being. As a matter of fact, let's just get this out in the open. Hell is not prepared for any living human being. As a matter of fact, every person that goes to hell trespasses against the will of God. You know what hell was prepared for? Satan and his fallen angels. God did not desire you. He did not intend for you. You know what God's desire and intent is? Is for you to be in covenant with him, to have a relationship 
with him. And so when you walk into this church, you know why you feel that something that you've never felt before? You know why you just look around and you feel love and peace and you don't even know why and people are smiling at you? You know why you feel that? Because what you feel is the love of God. I hope that we represent God's love to every living human being because it's establishing who we are and our identity. God wants to reconnect with you and establish relationship. And so our first and foremost to have a healthy relationship is we have to have a healthy relationship with God. Easy to start, sometimes hard to sustain. The second part is having a healthy, loving relationship with the people that are around us. We just read it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, some of us don't even know the names of our neighbors. Some of us, when it snowed on Friday, we got into a, a snowblowing fight with our neighbors because they kept throwing it on our side of the sidewalk and we wanted to get the snow off back on their side of the sidewalk. No, nobody had that problem? Okay, good. Maybe just in my neighborhood those things happen. But, but we have to be conscientious because the word of God instructs us to love your neighbor. So who is your neighbor? Well, it's not just the person you live next to physically in the house that you dwell in, but your neighbor is every living human being, regardless of who they are or where they're from what ethnicity or, or what background, what demograph they fall into, that is my neighbor. We're neighbors one to another. And when the Bible says to love them more than you love yourself, that's extremely difficult for some, maybe not so difficult for others. Because we are very guilty of self-love, are we not? Yeah, we'll take care of us before we take care of anybody else. There's probably not anything wrong with taking care of yourself. But you've got to learn that it's important for us as apostolics, as Christians, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Would you intentionally afflict pain on you? Well, not if you have a healthy understanding of who you are, you wouldn't. Not if, not if you're complete and comfortable and confident in who you are. You would never maybe sometimes do things that you've done to neighbors. But God is asking us to make sure that we get to that place where we understand that our neighbors are someone that we must care about. Be careful what you pray for, by the way. I've learned that. That's a difficult lesson to learn. I was, I was in the church, you know, as early morning prayer, and uh, I just, I don't even know why I did it. I just said, Lord, lead me to hurting people. Not really knowing and thinking God would actually do what I asked him to do. Because how many times have we prayed prayers and we're like shocked that God answers those prayers? I said, God, lead me to hurting people. And, and uh, so I left uh, the church and I texted my wife as I'm on my way home. And she said, can you stop by the store and get something? And uh, that's a story of my life, by the way. And, and uh, she sends me to the store. I'm hungry. I buy everything that I shouldn't buy. And I miss half the stuff that I'm supposed to buy. And she's like, you, you know, she's like, what do you do when you go in there? It's an adventure. You know, you walk down those aisles. And, and uh, I don't go to the grocery store enough to know where anything's at. So I just wander around that store. And it's amazing. Like, you'd be surprised. Um, Costco is the greatest place. And I'm giving a good plug for Costco. Maybe they'll give me a free membership. But every time you go in there, you're like, what do I want today? A kayak? <laughs> Organic mangoes? You know, I, I don't know. It's whatever. Just exciting. And uh, we, we, we go on date nights to Costco because it's just fun. And, and uh, you know, you're old and married when you do stuff like that. And I'm walking through. I got the stuff and I'm checking out. And uh, the lady that's checking me out in, in, the, in the checkout line, and she's scanning the the items, and uh, I said, how you doing? You know, just trying to, you ask questions you don't really want to know the answer to sometimes. How are you? 
good. That's the normal response. And she's like, oh, I'm doing horrible today. And I'm like, oh, boy. And she said, we got the worst news. She said, my husband uh, is terminally ill. And um, his report came back today. And um, it's not good. And, and in, in the grocery store, she starts crying in Kroger. And uh, I'm looking at my watch, and I'm thinking, how long is this? I mean, we're, we're taking a long time here. And then that prayer came back to me. Remember what you just prayed? I didn't expect God to answer it that quick. And here it was, hurting people. And so now I have to make a decision. Is this my neighbor? Am, am, am I going to respond? Am I going to do what's right? Do I represent Christ to them? We've all heard this since we were little kids. You, you may be the only Bible that someone reads. And so it's the story of your life and how you respond. And so we, we have to make sure that we're doing the right thing. You know, none of us are worthy of God's love, but that's where it starts. There's none of us that, that we were just born exceptional. I mean, we think we are. Our parents tell us we are. They tell us, you are the, you're the best. And they lie to us sometimes. <laughs> Most parents are hoping. I hope this child turns out to be something. You know, it's just the way it is. We, we're just, we, and so we say things like, you're, you're the best. You're going to be the best. You, you, man, you are, we love you so much, and that's not a lie. And, uh, but we hope that you actually take responsibility, get a job, and start paying your bills. And so that way, your, your mother and I can retire one day. And, uh, and Brother Faulkner, I've learned, I thought when they get old enough to get jobs, it's going to be so much easier financially. And it's worse. <laughs> I, I, all you young mom and dads, when they turn 18, it ain't over. It's a commitment for the rest of your life. I'm convinced of that. I just wanted to give you all some hope. But if you look at you as a parent and our relationship with God, and I'm almost out of time, I'm not getting anything done. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a complexity of it because sometimes we think that that our relationship, and, and we look at it a lot, a lot like this because God is our heavenly father, our relationship is equated to a fatherly relationship. And, and to be quite honest with you, there's people in this room that had horrific relationships with their father. And so when you come to church, you feel that I'm unlovable. Let me say, by the world's standard, you might be unlovable, but not by God's standard. Because God views things completely different than the way we view things. And so I asked somebody to get me a, a, a ball. You got a baseball or a softball? The glove? All right. Come on, Grantland. You and I, we're going we're gonna to try this out. We haven't done this in a while. But how many times you parents or you dads would, would stand outside in the backyard and do this with your... Now, don't hurt anybody. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. You're going to have to slow that down a little bit. I don't, my word. <laughs> I don't want to get a lawsuit here. You know what's amazing about uh, playing catch? It, it only works if there's a couple of significant elements in it. Number one, you have to have something to throw. But here's what's interesting. I want you to think of it like this. When, when you walk into church and you feel unlovable, you don't have anything to fear. Because the Bible tells us in Matthew that we love him. Why? Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Because he first loved us. So you see, here's what happened when you walk into church and you walk into to to this church even, here's what happens is God is saying, I, I want to extend something to you. So you may feel unloved, you may feel broken, you may feel disqualified, 
You may feel that you've walked in and you have nothing to offer. And guess what God's saying? But guess what I've got for you? Love. And so the reason it works so well is not how well you can give love back to God, but it's how well you can receive God's love. You see, for us to have good relationships upon this earth, we have to understand that God loves you no matter what. When we talk about unconditional love, it means that you walk in and you don't have to cover up your past. You don't have to be ashamed of where you came from. You don't have to be embarrassed of what you've done. God says, it doesn't matter. I still love them. I'm extending love to you. And when God extends love, all you have to do is just be ready. I don't know if I can catch this. I don't know if I can receive it. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know how this relationship is going to develop. But God's saying it's okay because I loved you so much. I died for your sins. Mom and dad, when you look at that baby for the first time and you hold him in your hand and you say, I would give my life for this child, it does not compare to the love that God has for you. You, when you were unlovable, when you were a sinner. You want to have a healthy relationship with people around you. You've got to receive the love of God. You've got to say, I'm accepting it. God, I'm not qualified. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. And guess what? There's not one person that's in this room here today that deserves the love of God. That's qualified to receive the love of God. It's by his grace and his mercy. So God loves us. This powerful understanding of God's love. So here we are now in Colossians 3.12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. And you think about that, and that's quite a pedigree. But here's what the love of God does. When God's love is extended and you receive it, and you say, God, I need you to change my life. I need you to make something anew. God now says you are holy and beloved. You see, holiness and righteousness in Scripture is not anything that we do. We've got to get that out of our mind. I, I cannot become holy by putting something on. Now, hold, hold on. Now, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not moving into heresy. Now, I can become unholy by not putting something on or by putting something on. But holiness is what God transforms in me. I cannot become righteous by performing certain acts, but God makes me righteous because my acts and my service makes me self-righteous, which is not what God wants. But you see, when I've repented of my sin and been baptized in Jesus name, that's the washing away of all my sins. So it's kind of like this, the, the dead carcass that I've repented and asked God to remove that, that old man, that old individual that I no longer want to be. When I repent, it's taking that and removing it out. And then baptism is the burial of that. And that man is now put away and dead. And when I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So you want to know how to have good, healthy relationships? Get a good relationship with God. Because it changes your perspective. It changes how you deal with people. Changes how you think. Oh, does anybody here remember that moment where God redeemed you and set you free? Yeah, you repented, were baptized and filled the Holy Ghost. And you came up out of that water. And the next day, you didn't act the way you used to act. You didn't think the way you used to act. You didn't want the things that you used to want. Oh, was there anybody here that was ever delivered by repentance? Set free by baptism. Renewed into new life by the influence of the Holy Ghost. You want new relationships? Then you get in Jesus Christ and he will help you have new relationships. I got nine minutes left. That's not going to make it. 
Number two, here's what we need to do. We should treat others with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. Because you know what the Spirit of God does to us? It puts inside of us this element called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that's a weird terminology, is it not? But I want you to think of it like this. If we're not bearing fruit, then what does that mean? Something's wrong with the tree. You see, the fruit of the Spirit has the evidence of God's Spirit working through you. So if you do not represent the fruit of the Spirit, then that means there's something not correct with your relationship with God first. Now, my wife used to do this. It may have been uh, cruelty, um, inhumane cruelty. I'm not sure. But when our boys would have these disagreements and they would, um, we'll, we'll, we'll just say fight. That's what they did. They just fought. And uh, they'd have a fight. My wife would say, okay, you have to put your arms around each other. You have to look each other nose to nose. And you have to sing this song. And what was that song, Hunter, to go? Okay, sing it louder. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or temperance and self-control. And she would make our children sing that song, The Fruit of the Spirit. They never made it through one time. Like, the anger dissipated. The fury began to just dissolve. Because you're standing there staring at someone doing, both of you, what you do not want to do. Singing about something that you have not been displaying. And then it, there it is. But you know what? It, it, it's a practice that my wife pushed them through because she wanted them to understand the way you're behaving is not displaying what the Spirit of God should be doing. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to fix relationships on this earth. You need to get more of God's spirit so the fruit of that spirit is on display for people to see and understand. If there's no fruit, something's wrong with the connection, the spiritual connection. As Christians, we must display that forgiveness. So, so we look at Colossians and we see these five nouns that are there. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Which probably are set in course by the five sins in verse 5. And the five other sins in verse eight. But here's what the Bible tells us, to bear one another and forgive each other. And so we must push forth this idea that when our relationship with God is correct, our relationship with others can be correct because we have stepped into a dimension of spiritual growth and the spirit is able to work through us to build relationships with those that are around us. Okay, six minutes. I'm gonna run through this real fast, okay? I think I put something up on the screen. Can you throw that up on the screen? This is the Apostle Paul's uh, easy, quick steps on how to have a godly relationship and to reference uh, when you begin to talk about relationships. Number one, humility and selflessness. Do you have the scriptures that are on there or is it just those titles? All right, here we go. Let's see what it is. Um, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other better than themselves. Look not every man of his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so God is wanting us as Christians to look at others with compassion and love. The other thing we should do is to treat others with kindness. Basic civil kindness. Kindness goes a long ways. Kindness is this this powerful process in which we do what God has asked us to do. And the Apostle Paul talks about uh, pushing out negative influences. Now we can't go real deep into this and we can't We can't discuss it, but he talks about this in Ephesians that I referenced earlier, that those that are stirring up discord that's against the doctrine, and you know what the doctrine of the Bible is? 
The doctrine of the Bible has to do with the spiritual fruit that we're talking about. And so we're supposed to take people that are not a good influence, that are a negative influence, and we're to mark them. That doesn't mean physically mark them, but we're, we're to take them and say, that person has, has transgressed against what God is asking them to do, and therefore that's a negative influence that I cannot have in my life. I'll never forget one of my pastors, Elder Brother Young, uh, made this statement to me. He, he was talking about his good friend, the pastor over in Illinois, Brother Jenkins, and he said, the first time I met Brother and Sister Jenkins, my wife and I were at General Conference, and I looked over, and there was Brother and Sister Jenkins, and, and I just thought, compelled, I, I want to develop a friendship with that couple. And when he made that statement, it kind of shocked me because I was 21 years of age, and I always thought that friendships were organic, right? That you just became friends with people because you worked with them, or, or you were in close proximity with them, or you had some things in common. But he was talking about how the Jenkins became their closest friends, lifelong friends. And it changed my whole concept. And I thought, you mean to tell me you can pick your friends? I was revelatory. I would have never picked my best friend growing up. I'm telling you, we, we, we fought all the time. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This is unbelievable. So from that moment on, I'm like, you know what? I am going to be intentional in my friendships. And so I was looking for people that had positive influence in my life. And you know what? Those people, I hope that I was a positive influence in their life. But I can say right now that my wife and I have wonderful friends. Our closest friends, some of our closest friends, over 24 years now. One of my closest friends. And guess what? He is the, he's a positive influence. You, you be careful who you're allowing to speak into your life. I mean, some of you elders are, you know, 40, 50 years old, uh, 100 years old. You know, you're speaking in everybody else's life at that age. I'm talking to the younger generation. You need to be careful who you let speak into your life. It's like that apple that's in the, in the barrel with all the other apples. What happens? Contaminates them if you leave it long enough that that apple is bruised and rotten. So you've got to get the rotten apple out of the barrel because if you don't, it's going to affect you. It's kind of like you are what you eat, you know? You eat a lot of fat, greasy food, you become a fat, greasy dude, I guess. That's the way it works. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like who you rub shoulders with constantly becomes a negative influence or a positive influence. What, what, what's the next one that we're supposed to do? What does Paul say about the next one? He says, build up one another. Now, now, there's times where building up one another maybe doesn't look positive, right? Because a true friend tells you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And that scripture that iron sharpened the iron, have you ever thought about that? How is that possible? Well, have you ever sharpened a knife on a stone or a steel? How do you sharpen that knife? Well, it removes metal off of the knife and puts that upon the stone. And that's how that knife can eventually become sharp. So if you think about it, building up one another, iron sharpening iron, that means that your friend has to tell you things that's going to remove the rough edges that is causing you not to be as effective and as efficient as you need to be. And so your friends need to tell you what you need to hear. You need to have a friend that's going to call you up and say, hey, you went to church today. Where are you at? Uh, you know what? My friend, I'll call him up and I, sometimes I'm like, hey, Eugene, I need to talk to you. This is what's going on. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Did you pray about this? Did you read the Bible today? He 
He's always taken my wife's side. I'm like, you're supposed to justify my actions, Eugene. You're my friend. He said, I'm telling you what you need to hear. And guess what? I'm glad that I have friends in my life that tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. So choose friends that tell you the truth, regardless of how painful that is. What's the other thing, the last thing that Paul talked about? We're skipping over so much. The last thing is this, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. So you know what your job is tonight when you go home? I want you to stand in the mirror. I want you to get as close to that mirror as you can until your nose touching it. And I want you to look at yourself and say, love, joy, peace. I want you to go through the fruit of the Spirit and say, Lord, am I bearing the fruit so that others around me can see your Spirit at work in my life? Because our greatest testimony, it should be and should include inviting people to church, but your greatest testimony is to be the witness. And sometimes the greater witness is our actions, our inactions that we display to those around us. So you know what I say? Let's have healthy relationships. Let's build on those relationships. Let's ask God to use us to be an example to those that are around us, amen? And to do that, what do we need? A great relationship with him so that we can build strong, healthy relationships to those around us. Why don't we stand to our feet? I want us to ask the Lord to be with us and to keep us. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we thank you for this night together. I pray, Lord, that you would watch over each and every person that's here. I pray, God, that you'd allow us to embrace what your idea of friendship and healthy friendships are and what they look like. I pray, God, that you'd restore and repair and fix our covenant with you. Allow us to abide under the mercies and the grace that you promised us and allow us to fulfill that and complete that through your word. I pray, God, that you'd give us strength and help us, Lord, to be very intentional and help us to display the fruits of the Spirit to those that are around us. We give you glory and honor and praise. And everyone said, in Jesus' name.